Blog Talk Radio. Turnbuckle Turnbuckle fans, welcome to the show at a very special time today. Happy Juneteenth to everyone out there. Also, to happy birthday to Garfield, who celebrates today. Happy Father's Day as well. And, of course, this is Sign Guy along with the coach with the most coming at us from coast to coast. He doesn't mean to brag, but he has to boast because his favorite breakfast of all time is bacon, hash browns, and challah bread French toast. Coach Mike Jones, and we are joined today by some special guests. We have the crew from our colleagues over at Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast, Evan Ginsberg, we have Buddy Soletto, Sotello, and of course, the good Dr. Mike Lano. We have at least two of them with us right now, so guys, welcome aboard. I know, Evan, you're returning and welcome to the rest of you. Hello, and this is Buddy Hello here. And uh, this is Dr. Mike here. Can you guys hear both of us? I can hear you both loud and clear. Okay. I can't stay real long. I'm working on the, uh, some documentaries, so I'm going to pull an all-nighter. But uh, I, I want to say, uh, really, you guys seem like great guys and uh, uh I'm looking forward to all you've been doing. I've known Rip Rogers forever, and I know he was a big part of this show, as was Lanny Poffo and others. So I want to wish you guys every bit of great success, which I know you'll you'll be killing it and doing a great, great job. And we enjoyed having you on the show just now. All right. Well, guys, we appreciate the time that we had with you for sure. And, uh, good doctor, I want to wish you well on the documentaries. I'm sure we'll be looking forward to seeing those when they're available. I'm not doing the docus. It's just my photos. You guys know I've been a magazine writer, photographer for decades and decades. And uh, it's hard because all that stuff, when we moved, it's all in moving boxes. So I'm still having to dig up to find all of this stuff on all of these guys from the 60s and 70s on. I know you got... Thousands upon thousands of photos that have popped up in books and magazines and so forth. Very familiar. Any project you're working on, I look forward to it because I know you have quality photos for the fans. Well, I I try. I mean, I I was the first guy ever. I hope we got Evan on. The first guy ever, Gaishin, a foreigner to shoot ringside in Japan. And that was for Baba Briscoe in the... December 74 when the title swap happened and you know later on I was almost living there in 1991 uh, back and forth back and forth and 
sometimes I know it, it almost comes across as brag, but I kind of just want to share all that. I mean, getting into having to find a cab large enough to put Abby and uh, he wasn't called Yokozuna then, but Rodney Anawahe, uh, we had to get a cab and we put both those guys in the back seat in a single cab. And you know how big both of those two gents are. This was in uh, Tokyo after a Karakuen uh, show, Karakuen Hall show. And, you know, I get so many stories. Uh, yeah, uh, so, let's see if Evan's on. Hopefully, Evan is with us. Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Evan is with us. Yeah, uh, I got coach, it. Since you've got a short time, do you have any questions for the good doctor, real quick? Hey, uh, doctor, who were some of your heroes growing up? Well, uh, Freddie Blassie, I usually favored heels, and Freddie Blassie in our territory from like 19, he, he had many tours, and he came in like in the 40s as Sailor Fred Blassie with dark hair before he started bleaching it. But from about 1960 on, when Jules Strongbow was a genius, genius booker, one of the smartest guys out there, uh, had Fred as his lead heel. And, and so when Fred turned babyface, Fred turned babyface, and I said this on the Busted Open radio show, um, uh, he turned babyface in a three-cage match series spaced over six weeks, every other week at the Olympic Auditorium in L.A. It was heel-heel, blasty against the Sheik, and that's what turned Fred face in 1970. And then uh, he solidified it. So that was one of my big heroes, but also Rocky Johnson. And so Fred gets done with that, and then he approaches Rocky Johnson on our TV and said, challenge him to a match, which he called a scientific or face-face match, and said, look, if I break any rules or cheat or whatever, I'll leave town. And they had a, you know, a, like a 45-minute Broadway draw, and Fred solidified himself as a, a face. He was over so much as a face when he had that long feud with a zillion different matches. And the first guy to ever use a snake in wrestling was John Tolis, the Golden Greek, not Jake Roberts, and we're talking 1970. And uh, they would give the fans, our publicist, Jeff Walton, who John Arizzi and I took over the Fred Blassie fan club from my immediate boss under Mike LaBelle, Jeff Walton, but they, he provided every fan, like 11,000, over 11,000 fans, with a cardboard cutout mask of a baby-faced Freddie Blassie. And to see them all wearing this during a Blassie-Tolis match, you know, this entire audience and taking pictures of that was, like, surreal. It was like going to a 3D movie and everybody's wearing those goofy-looking glasses. But they had a Blassie mask. Neil Moskris, who came as the first U.S. territory he ever worked outside of Mexico when he came in for us around 67. Uh, Bobo Brazil, who was like our Jackie Robinson of wrestling. Uh, uh, oh, God. Uh, uh, Betty Nikolai, who was an outlaw to Mula, but had was on that outdoor coliseum show defending her Calif or putting her California women's title up against Mula's world women's title. Uh, Mula was for being Mula, but my big heroes for the female side were Mildred Burke and June Byers, absolutely the greatest women's wrestlers from that classic era. Uh, uh, Hana Kimura, who I got to meet who uh, you know was a victim of bullying and uh, took her own life she was a hero 
so many guys, giant Shohei Baba, who was like the kindest guy in the world, Lord James Blears, Bruno, the most ethical guy ever in wrestling, Bruno San Martino, Lou Thez, who arguably the greatest hooker shooter type wrestler, Stu Hart, all his whole family. So many, so many great families that are heroes to me, the Armstrong family besides the Hearts and so many other fantastic families, the Papo family. I mean, Angelo Papo, one of the greatest total legends of all time. We just talked about him. Ev, how about you and uh, Russ? Who were, uh, uh, I mean, Bruno's got to be up there. But it's like the greatest tag team, those colorful tag team, I still say the Valiants and the Graham brothers. So incredible. I, I love the Valiant brothers. Uh, they ruled in New York in the 70s. And... Um, the Samoans were huge in New York. But my, my favorite tag team of all time is the Midnight Express. Uh, anytime oh, yeah. they wrestled the Rock and Roll Express for the NWA, I'd go every month in Philly. Uh, it was wrestling elevated to art. I mean, the Midnight Express would just... Well, it, it didn't matter which combination. Uh, they were all great. And, um, yeah, those, those, those are my favorite tag teams by far. And... Uh, isn't it cool that FTR uses, they had to go, they couldn't use the original Midnight Express movie soundtrack music after a while. I, uh, they either would have paid rights or gotten sued or something. So they stopped using that, and then they came up with a generic sound-alike, and that's what FTR is using to pay tribute to the Midnight Express in AEW now. It's incredible. Such a nice tribute to the greatest tag team, or teams, if you include the Rock and Roll Express of all time. Absolutely. Nice. Now, what they, about you, bud? Well, um, I was always a fan of the old school mass wrestler. So I was a big fan of guys like the Spoiler, guys like uh, Dr. X, guys like uh, the Super Destroyer, and the original Destroyer, the Super Intelligent Destroyer, and um, uh, the Assassins, and the Texas Hangmen. And uh, but I also was a big fan of like some of these huge teams that just you know got started out in the early '80s. I'm 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 going to be 55, so I go more towards like the the '80s and, and and early '90s for for where I get most of my you know fandom from. So uh, I'm a big fan of the Road Warriors. I'm a big fan of the Steiners. I'm a big fan of Doom. Um, I'm a big fan of. Uh, 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 Scott Hall and Kurt Henning. I think they're a really underrated tag team. And I really like the tag team scene. It's one thing that kind of bums me about it, out about today's wrestling is that tag teams are just sort of an afterthought. Whereas, you know, I think in that early 80s to late 80s time frame was probably their heyday, the, the, the best heyday of, of tag teams, you know, in, in the AWA, WWF, and uh, WCW or NWA at the time. Russ, Russ, two things quickly. You've got to watch AEW. The tag team scene is on fire there. They're really celebrating it with Pentagon and his brother Phoenix and all of those great tag teams. But And yeah, Luchasaurus. And the, and the kid just lost the straps to uh, uh, back to the, uh, the Young Bucks. But I want to put you on the spot because you mentioned two guys. The sensational, intelligent destroyer, who was my friend Dick Byer, amateur great who had the he he put on the sock he said his first wife he had he was married to two wilmas the first wilma knitted it out of like her stocking his original uh destroyer mask but you mentioned another guy who, who, that was the name he used in the awa 
So I'm going to ask you, who was that? I'll, I'll throw that out to any of you before I answer it. Who was the destroyer? Yes, the soup. The uh, it's called the uh, intelligent sensational destroyer. Sometimes the sensational intelligent destroyer uh, in his right. own fantastic promos. But he used a different name, different mask in the AWA, and you mentioned it earlier. Oh, but what was correct. that name? Doctor X. Doctor X. That's right. In fact, he called and, himself. And Father too. I just wanted to mention that because I managed to meet him in person as well. So I'll let you guys have some word in edgewise. We've been dominating your show. Okay, well, Mike, back to what you were saying. I've been blessed to be able to see Rocky Johnson in the Northwest back in the day. And then I also remember reading about Freddie Blassie having some of his matches down there in California and around the world that created uh, riots. Do you have any stories of the heat that they used to have there? Oh, and he was a heel. Well, in Japan, when Ricky Dozan started that promotion there, and prior to that, actually, women were the first wrestlers to tour. They would just do different tours. Uh, June Byers and Mildred Burke on separate tours in, like, the 40s, 50s came there. I'd say the 50s, more after World War II. But when Ricky Dozan started his promotion, he first had the Sharp brothers, you know, Mike Sharp's dad and uncles, and uh, guys like Thez, et cetera, come there. But then he had Blassie and Dick Byer, you know, who he, uh, he liked, because Ricky Dozan, they put the title on him, the WWA Los Angeles world title, which was a real world title. Uh, you know, it was defended in Hawaii and other places. But the all-time record with Blassie was in Japan, where they had like over 50% of the, or 60% of the television viewing audience were tuned into some really bloody violent match Fred had, like around 61, with Ricky Dozan, the all-time total legend, who was actually, uh, you know, a sumo guy before he was a wrestler. There in Japan, Fred had riots created at the uh, Honolulu International Center, now renamed Blaisdell in Honolulu in the 70s. I mean, Massive stuff there. In San Francisco, he did six mans with Ray Stevens and Pat Patterson, creating riots in the 60s up there when he, you know, infrequently would go up. Uh, obviously, the stuff with Bruno in the 60s uh, before he came in and, and created a near riot at Madison Square Garden with Pedro Morales in 72. Uh, Fred, Fred was involved in two of the weirdest Styles Class matches ever. One, I shot at a Christmas show in 74 in Atlanta at the, the, the regular auditorium, not the big one, not the Omni, uh, but it was the Atlanta City Auditorium against Cowboy Bill Watts. Now, Fred went back there for Christmas uh, just to visit some family. He had family in St. Louis and other parts of the South like Atlanta, but Fred just refused to sell for Bill Watts as the heel and wouldn't take bumps for him, and Watts got you know, legit furious to where it almost turned into a shoot. The other weird one was Fred against Billy Robinson for the Ring Magazine Championship in Honolulu, where Fred did the same. He wouldn't sell for Billy Robinson, who, you know, I mean, could have turned him inside and out, uh, but respected him and didn't lose it. So Fred was so interesting. And the weird thing was all we had really was the magazines, in the early 70s, like Fred would be in his hometown before he got screwed on his payday at the Olympic Auditorium, or at the Coliseum, that outdoor show, August of 71, and left for good, took Vince Sr.'s offer to come move back there uh, to Connecticut as a heel, one of the great three managers with Captain Lou Albano and the Grand Wiz. But uh, 
Fred would be a heel against Bruno and Pedro in the Tri-WF. And at the same time, they were getting the TV, starting to get our Wednesday night, all Spanish TV, uh, Lucha Libre at the Olympic Auditorium, showing Freddie as a babyface in L.A. So it was, like, really puzzling. So fans are seeing this, and then they're able to read about it in the Stanley Weston. I don't call them the after magazines. They were the Stanley Weston. He was our boss, our editor, publisher, creator. Uh, magazines, and then, you know, newsletter. Well, they, they weren't newsletters, they were fanzines. All of us had fan clubs. John Arizzi and I ran the last uh, big incarnation of Fred Blassie's fan club. I ran the Tolis Brothers fan club. Lots of guys, Mick Karch, George Shire, uh, George Ann Macropolis, the queen of fan club bulletins. But those were the early forerunners of the sheets, and you would get, like, results and TV angles in the late 60s, early 70s, and that's how we learned about stuff that was going on elsewhere before the Internet, before, you know, all these radio shows, podcasts, everything going on now, uh, you know, and then the birth of the sheets, really, when Meltzer uh, started. I think it was uh, either late 82, early 83 with The Observer. Because before that, he did something called he and I would contribute to each other's newsletters. He was doing the California Wrestling Report. It was primarily results in the Roy Shire, Northern California Territory. He'd have all the rundown, the results, angles, what was going on during the promos and stuff, you know, very detailed. And uh, and then the last newsletter series I did, it, it really it, I covered very little, if you haven't seen my Tolis Brothers fan club newsletters, in the 70s, I was like covering everything going on in South Africa, England, Austria, besides all the territories in Japan, Mexico, U.S., and Canada. So, uh, but Blassie was such a, a big part of that. And, and the Blassie-Tolis angle, which I call the greatest angle of all time, it happened at our other TV show, the all-English one, which was Saturdays with Dick Lane and the greatest ring announcer, to my mind, even better than the Fink, Jimmy Lennon Sr., uh, did that show, and Blassie was getting an award in uh, like February 1971 as most popular wrestler, and his longtime adversary, you know, the heel, John Golden, Greek maniac Tolis, got pissed off, grabbed our ringside doctors, who he also, Dr. Bernard Schwartz also was a legit ring doctor for the boxing, and he was a kind of a worked, do-nothing uh, doctor for the wrestling, but Tolis grabs this bag of Monsol's powder. This was a like a powder uh, of a styptic pencil that you used to stop cuts, stop bleeding. And he threw it in Fred's eyes. Fred already had, you know, legit blinding in his eyes. But what he probably threw was baby powder, nothing that could hurt Fred. But they sold that angle for months and months and months. They shot all this footage of Fred all with his eyes patched up in the hospital. They ran that. And the weird thing was during the, the whole course of that, Fred participated in a Lawrence Welk golf tournament that uh, Jimmy Lennon Sr. had dragged him to while well, he's supposed to be selling a Zion tree. And Channel 7, our local Channel 7 ABC News, the morning show with Regis Feldman, they go out there to cover it. And Fred, like, runs away from the camera going, I'm not, I can't be seen on TV. I'm supposed to be injured. But that led to that was that angle and it's the footage of it doesn't exist i have it on audio but that was like the whole like 45 minutes out of an hour wrestling show devoted to that angle when it happened and then the sell for like eight months up until whatever it was all those months until late august at the la outdoor coliseum for the the culmination of that feud which blassie is the babyface one and the audience was crying 
you know, 26, 27,000 people all crying, so happy Freddie Blassie, their hero, had won. You sure wouldn't ever have seen that in the Tri-WF, although everybody loved Fred there. It was one of those guys like uh, Billy Graham, the heel you love to you, you didn't really hate him. You loved him, like the Valiant Brothers, Jimmy and John. Everybody, everybody I knew that either covered or was just you know a fan in Tri WF loved the Valiant Brothers. They would boo them, you know, because they were supposed to boo them. But deep down, everybody loved Jimmy and Johnny and Superstar Graham, and that's how you know. I'm sure they loved Blassie that way too, and a lot of the the great heels, Ernie Ladd, one of the greatest talkers of all time. Even though Evan can chime in again, everybody was afraid of Killer Kowalski. He was like that monster. He and the Sheik, the two greatest heels to my mind ever, because they legit scared people the way, you know, later on Brody and Hanson would in Japan. And I got to go, guys. The big mouth will shut up and leave the show to you guys. I got to get back to printing and developing photos. But uh, just want to wish you guys a great rest of the show. Evan can talk about how beloved all those fantastic superstars and try WF for. There you go. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Yeah, and that's not even to mention Freddie Blasso, Blassie and uh, Pampero Furpo's uh, riots that were created from their matches. Well, um, back in the day, and, and a lot of people don't understand this, um, most of the fans in the 70s were blue-collar, um, and marks, I mean, this was pre-internet, really, for the most part, pre-sheets even. There were some very primitive sheets that were mostly, you know, trading results and clippings. But, you know, wrestling was a, a pretty closed business back then, and uh, a lot of the fans were not smartened up, and Roddy Piper was stabbed, Moolah was stabbed, Blackjack Mulligan was stabbed. This is just off the top of my head. I mean, fans yeah. fans would riot. They'd run into the ring. You know, there were there were fans with guns in arenas back then. They didn't have the uh, metal detectors, and you know, it was a different world fifty, sixty years ago. And uh, there was always that. I was at Madison Square Garden, and. Um, we always had um, a big Hispanic audience, uh, which was one of the reasons Pedro Morales was champion for uh, three and a half or so years. Um, I lose track exactly, but uh, he was champ for a couple of years. And uh, so one night, Billy Graham is the champ, and he's wrestling Mil Mascaris. <laughs> and Mascaris, you know, doesn't win the belt, and you're getting this, like, ominous feeling in the building like like a riot's about to happen and Mel Moskris himself is like you know body language like calm down people calm down you know it's okay <laughs> because you know those fans were getting very pissed off that their guy didn't win and uh it was it was a different world and a different mentality and uh um, Buddy will tell you, you know, my, many times on our show, wrestling and everything coast to coast, we we get into the fact that, you know, some young fans today, this just happened the other day, in fact, on the Internet, they'll go, oh, Bruno and Pedro and Billy Graham and all these guys, they just punched and kicked. They weren't that great. And again, you know, it was a mock audience. We believed these were our heroes. 
you know, and um, we uh, we felt every punch and kick. And uh, to just dismiss these all-time great draws and wrestlers and the unbelievable charisma, off-the-chart charisma, that could fill a 22,000-seat arena, you know, you can't just say, oh, they just punched and kicked. Yeah, yes, uh, Holly Race and Nick Bockwinkle and Dory Funk Jr. and Jack Briscoe were better technical wrestlers than Bruno Sammartino. Yes, but you can't just Maybe. say, oh, the guy was nothing because you're rewriting history. You weren't there and you don't understand. You just don't understand. The Iron Sheik was not a great, excuse me, the original Sheik, I should say, was not a great technician, but he, he may have been the greatest heel of all time. He drew, he had charisma, the people believed, and cre he created chaos every time he came out. So you can't just go, oh, he just punched and kicked. You know, they don't get it. Yeah, definitely. Well, and then just their, excuse me, just their attendance record speaks for itself. Go ahead, buddy. Oh, yeah. No, I wanted to say that, you know, one time, um, I, you see, I was an indie manager in Northern California um, in the early 2000s, uh, from 2000 to about 2010, 2000. And um, uh, 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 one time in Pacifica, of all places, crowd just absolutely hated me and my the wrestler that that I was managing Vinny Massaro and they it's the one time where people have thrown stuff at us and it's it is pretty scary they unfortunately they're only throwing ice at us and as we got to ringside there was a guy standing like right at you know at the barrier and he threw his entire thermos of red hot coffee all over Vinny Massaro and I mean, it hurt him pretty good. I mean, he, he's a tough guy, so he just he just took it. And you know, um, the irony is, guess who was waiting for us right as we got out of the locker room for an autograph? Wow, it was that crazy fan. So there's yeah. Him, oh, him. yeah, the guy that was next to him was like, "Hey, this guy isn't totally right in the head." You know, he didn't really know what he was doing, and 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 uh, you know, hey, he loved you guys. He loves you guys. So. So, like, you just don't know who's standing out there in the audience and what's going through their mind as you approach the ring. And, and yeah, you want to generate that heat. You want people to hate you. But the problem is, you know, people have trouble holding back their ability to express that hatred. And it can, uh, you know, burst out in some pretty terrible ways sometimes. Yeah, man, I'm really grateful that... My goodness, if you think about all those riots and stuff and people being stabbed and hurt, that they could have shut wrestling down. But it was such a big draw and a big event. It was able to survive, so I'm happy for that. Okay, I got one more question before I get back to Sign Guys since we've gone pretty long so far. Um, so, Evan, you've worked with a lot of rock and roll promoters, wrestlers, producers. Who are some of your favorite people to work with? Um, the best experience I ever had was, um, working with Darren Aronofsky on The Wrestler. I was the associate producer and, um, that project, uh, took seven years off and on. And, um, 
it was just a great experience. I even got to act with Mickey in the film, and um, yeah, that would that would be at the top of the list. Um, I was Johnny Valiant's shoot manager, taking his one man comedy show all over the country, and that was a great great experience. And um, I was also associate producer on 350 Days, the documentary, and uh, we have worldwide distribution on that. Uh, it stars Billy Graham, who we were talking about earlier, and Bret Hart, and three dozen-plus legends, and that was a uh, wonderful experience. And um, I was a club booker in New York, booking tons of bands and poets and rappers and um, performance artists and you know it's just been an interesting ride and just recently I became senior editor on pro wrestling stories which um, is millions of uh, readers from all around the world and uh, we emphasize wrestling history and um, you know we're very proud of that. We're not sitting there reviewing Raw and SmackDown. with you know, trying to do uh-huh. something uh, on a higher level than much of uh, what's out there. And uh, if you love wrestling history, you'll love pro wrestling stories. And basically what happens is when you're out there, um, one thing leads to another. Inevitably, one thing leads to another. And the pandemic of all things, led to Buddy Sotelo and I starting wrestling and everything coast to coast. I mean, we were basically on lockdown, especially New York was hit terribly by COVID. And um, so every week for two plus years, we've put out a podcast. And uh, many times, many, many times it was cathartic. I, I had a lot of friends in the wrestling business die from COVID and, um, you know, and, and as you all know, uh, quite frequently in wrestling, uh, we lose many of our legends and, um, you know, the the show is a way to honor them. And, uh, also it's therapeutic, you know, you get to vent, you get to, uh, talk about (laughs) the extremes you know, I always say I have a love-hate relationship with pro wrestling, the good, the bad, and ugly of it. And uh, a lot of guys in wrestling do not end up well, and we showed just that in the wrestler movie and in 350 Days, the documentary. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it's hard to say just one person, but um, I think of all the projects, the one – that's uh, that I'm the proudest of is the wrestler. All right, yeah, I, I love both of those. Now, buddy, what I about you? Who are some of your buddy? What are you? Who are some of your favorites to work with? Oh well, I I I got into wrestling as I said in uh, 2000, and I was in the uh, All Pro Wrestling Federation, which is featured in the movie Beyond the Mat. Um, that's the one that had um, Mike Modest in it and Tony Jones and Roland Alexander. So that, that's the group that, that I knew and, and I started with. And, and I, I had the, uh, 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 the real pleasure and honor of working with Mark Bison Smith, 
who was uh, unfortunately a victim of a tragic heart attack um, in uh, about 10 years ago, almost 11 years ago. Um, and uh, uh, we worked very closely together um, on uh, in both all pro wrestling and then pro wrestling iron. Um, and then I moved on to a uh, mid-California uh, federation called California Championship Wrestling. And um, I worked with guys like Simon Gotch. And um, I've been on cards with uh, the prototype, then, who then turned into John Cena, taking dive outs from Samoa Joe. I've, uh, I managed uh, Nigel McGuinness um, from Ring of Honor in a match against Mark Smith that wound up getting me body slammed. And uh, uh, another notable that I've worked with is Christopher Daniels. And, and for one night, I managed uh, Delete Singh, better known as the Great Khali, because he was also a, uh, a guy that had uh, uh, worked at, at All Pro Wrestling when he got his, his first start in uh, wrestling in California. And uh, I was also in the managerial class of uh, Sarah Del Rey. And she used to haul off and wallop me in the face and, and in various body parts while she was learning how to, how to pull her punches. She, she learned how to pull her punches by walloping me left and right. So that's kind yeah. of a... a Wow, and yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Beyond the Mat also. Okay, so so I don't take up too much time. I just got one more for each of you. Hey, Evan, what do you got coming up? I have written a book during the pandemic. Um, it's called Wrestling, Wrestling Rings, Blackboards, and Movie Sets, which are basically my three careers working in various capacities in wrestling, education as a teacher, and also in the movie industry. And I tell a hundred stories about all of it, seven or eight stories on the making of the wrestler that's never been told, never been told before. Um, you know, and tributes to many of my friends who are gone, Tiger Khan, Killer Kowalski, Nikolai Volkov, Melissa Coates, uh, Johnny Valiant, of course, and many others. And um, it's basically a hundred short stories from the heart. And uh, again, it was very therapeutic during lockdown here in New York. Um, to, you know, just pour your heart into something. And that'll be out later this year at some point. I don't know the exact date. And. Uh, there's also going to be a um, women's wrestling documentary with many of the legends that uh, Chris Anino has directed, and I'm an associate producer on that. And um, um, basically, Chris, for several years, interviewed tons of women wrestling legends because we, we just don't feel that that's ever been done right up to this point. You know... Uh, We've had various, you know, there's been various projects on individual wrestlers, but I, I don't think the history of women's wrestling has ever quite been told, and uh, Chris is tackling that, and it's, you know, it's, quite, it's quite a project. You know, usually it always comes back to Moolah, and, you know, he wants to make it bigger than that. You know, really tell the story of the history of women's wrestling, and uh, we... Um, you know, we have high hopes for that also. 
Wow, what a blessing. I'm really looking forward to those. And I know that you got one of the, nor- the, the Northwest legends, Dale Pierce, the time traveler in there. I got to work with him, get to know him, and interview him a few times. You got a quick Dale Pierce story. Yes, um, Dale Pierce, uh, who was a renaissance man. Dale Pierce was a wrestler, wrestling manager, teacher, writer, historian. You know, I could go on and on and on. I mean, uh, <laughs> Dale, Dale Pierce was a colorful guy. And uh, so him and his wife, Rainbow, that's her ring name, um, they, they visited me in New York. And Dale, Dale was a little neurotic, but I say this affectionately. I love the guy. And about 72 times during his one-day trip to New York, he would go, am I going to make the bus back? Am I going to make the bus back? Am I going to make the bus back? I'm like, Dale, <laughs> you'll make the bus back. I promise you. I promise, you know? And uh, But an interesting, interesting guy. He, he wrote tons of uh books on uh, wrestling history and film history. He was an expert on bullfighting of all things, spaghetti westerns, uh, Wild West characters. I mean, this this guy, you know, I mean, I can't say enough about him. Uh, you know, just, just a well-rounded, eclectic, interesting, intelligent, supportive you know, you talk to people in the wrestling business, they always say, you know, Dale Pierce helped me in some way. Dale Pierce supported me. Dale Pierce got me booked. Um, you know, and he's not the, not the most famous guy in the industry, but a beloved figure in the industry. And, um, yeah, I, uh, it really hurt when, uh, he left us a few years ago and, uh, just a good guy, guy, and uh, ditto his wife, you know, a wonderful person, and uh, yeah, I have a piece on him in my upcoming book as well, and um, yeah, Dale Pierce, I wish I wish uh, more people knew about him, or maybe shows like this will motivate them, you know, Google Dale Pierce, I mean, if you love wrestling, he had the history of wrestling in Ohio, a whole book on that, just... Um, you know, this this guy was prolific, prolific. Yeah. Wow, right on. Now, buddy, what do you got coming up? Um, Wrestling-wise, the thing that I'm working on the most is what I'm doing with Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast, our Facebook and YouTube-based show uh, that we do on a weekly basis where we have wrestlers and oftentimes people from other walks of life that have nothing to do with wrestling. We, we had a, um, an animator for Chinese uh, uh, a compilation of short films, short animated films on our show, and uh, we've had uh, a Macho Man impersonator on our show, and we've had, you know, um, uh, the uh, Sergeant Slaughter from the Young Rock has been on our show along with Lanny Poffo. So we're all over the place, and uh, it's a lot of fun to do on a weekly basis. And we've had you guys on our show, so, you know, um, uh, we hope to have you on sometime in the distant future as well. Yes, thank you guys so much. It's an honor to be on your show in the past, and we're blessed to have you guys on. We really appreciate it. I want to wish you guys all the luck in the world. we got, like, 
20 minutes left on our live show. I'm sure Sign has some more questions. Yeah, shoot. Sure. Now, Buddy, you came from wrestling managing, and you got to work with a lot of guys out of that early 2000s California class that went on to become very well-known. What did you learn from managing that you were able to apply sort of to your everyday life? My everyday life? Okay, that's that's an interesting point. I, you know, um, I think one of the things is that it was an amazing bucket list item to do. It's the thing that taught me in my life that if I didn't try something, I didn't know it would or wouldn't be possible. It's easy to sit around on your couch and say, oh, you know, I'd love to be a pro wrestling manager and not lift a finger to do anything about it. And then you're 60 years old and you go, gosh, you know, I really should have been a pro wrestling manager. Well, it meant a lot to me to just get up and get out there. I I called up all pro. I I had seen a a news um, segment on – professional wrestling in the early two in like maybe this was late 1999 or mid 1999 there was a uh, a news segment about you know the school that taught people how to professionally wrestle called all pro wrestling out in hayward and um i you know found out the 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 name of the place and all pro wrestling and they had a website back then it was the early web but i didn't know how to find it, and, and I, I called them, and I said, you know, I don't really, I'm a lawyer in real life, and I said, you know, if you guys need help with contracts and, and legal issues, I'm willing to trade, you know, what I do as an attorney for becoming trained in becoming a, a pro wrestling manager, maybe you can give me a shot. And, you know, I, I had to drive all the way out on Saturday mornings, from Marin County to Hayward, which is about an hour's drive, an hour and, and a half drive, to get out there and get up there in the morning and get beaten to heck by Vinny Massaro, who took incredibly uh, uh, a large amount of, of pleasure of beating me up. You know, he was my, the, the guy that I was managing. He enjoyed, you know, power bombing me and, 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 and clotheslining me and any opportunity that he got. So, um, uh, you know, it toughened me up. I, I had studied jiu-jitsu for about four years before joining up at All Pro Wrestling, and it really taught me how to take those kind of falls and how to um, uh, not get torn into little pieces because bumping managers was really a big thing in that early 2000s. You know, you had Shane McMahon getting thrashed. You had, you know, Andy Kaufman getting beaten up. You, you, you had uh, Jim Cornette get, you know, thrown around in the starcade, matching off the, the scaffolding and breaking his leg in, in, in a move that still defies me about how anyone would ever agree to do something like that. Um, uh, and I just, at that time, I, I didn't, I just felt like I could do that and I could physically get in there and do those things. I could not do them now. So I'm glad I'm glad I did them and ironically the worst I've ever gotten hurt has had nothing to do with wrestling. It had to do with taking the garbage out on a wet bunch of steps uh, in 2016. So so you know, I I, I I had some bumps, I had some bruises for sure, but not as bad as as what happened falling down my stairs. So 
Wow. <laughs> now, Evan, you've been around for many years as far as watching wrestling and observing the industry of everything from the Bruno San Martinos and Pedro Morales is up to modern day watching the WWE and so forth. What would you say has been the biggest advancement in the industry, whether it be a change in styles, whether it be a new company coming to the forefront? What would you say was the biggest change that we've seen? Well, I think today it's a golden age of wrestling in that it's like a smorgasbord. It's like a buffet. I mean, you don't have to do the WWE versus AEW fanboy war and you pick one and you're not allowed to watch anything else. It's ridiculous. I mean, I've always loved New Japan, Ring of Honor, I think AEW is great for the most part. Even um, even Seth Rollins and Cody Rhodes in, in the cage the other week was tremendous, tremendous. So why not pick and choose and enjoy the vast amount of wrestling that's out there? I love and support the indies. Uh, Impact Wrestling is, is quality as well. And, um, you know... Um, I don't watch mountains and mountains of wrestling. I have other interests in life. But, you know, when I'm in the mood to watch wrestling, boy, there's plenty to choose from. And uh, if I hear a particular match is great on AEW or whatnot, I'll seek it out. I'll still watch the uh, WWE pay-per-views, which are hit and miss. But um, the last one was excellent. And, um you know, it's um, my point being that with te- today's technology between the cable TV, the streaming, YouTube, uh, <laughs> et cetera, so on, you, you could you could have endless access to quality wrestling. When I was a kid, you'd have like, you know, one or two hours a week, and you'd have to be at the TV at that time. There was no DVR. There, you know, it was a different world. So uh, when the old school fans do the, there's been no good wrestling since the territories, you're nuts. There's plenty. There's plenty. You just have to seek it out, pick and choose, be selective. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, I think that's really the uh, biggest change, just the simple fact that there's so much to enjoy and savor. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, and, and if you want to watch old school, there's tons of that. There's tons of that at your fingertips between uh, WWE on Peacock, you know, with their old school programming between YouTube and, you know, streaming and everything else. I mean, uh, there's no shortage of great wrestling uh, at your fingertips today, at your fingertips. You can watch it 24-7 if you chose to. Oh, Definitely. Now, I believe the two of you were probably busy with other duties, but uh, right before this show came on the air, they were wrapping up Impact Slammiversary, which was its 20-year anniversary show. And not only did they have all of the major stars of Impact and most of their championships defended, but they brought back 
people that were there 20 years ago. Scott Hudson appeared. Goldilocks, who was the original backstage interview, appeared. Dixie Carter made an appearance. AEW allowed Sting to send a video talking about his impact days. WWE allowed AJ Styles to do the same. I'll start with Buddy. What do you think Impact Wrestling has meant to the industry over the last 20 years, and where do you think it stands in today's marketplace? Uh, well, were you guys fans of um, the Reno Scum when they were in Impact? Uh, I was. Yes. Those, those, the Reno Scum were to, were formed as part of the Satello Syndicate in California Championship Wrestling. Those two guys, Adam Thornstow and um, uh, uh, Luster, David Luster, are a lust of a legend back in, in California, um, were two guys that got started basically here in Northern California, and, and I was with them in their very early, like, rookie stages, and, and you know, a couple of years in, they, they, they worked a lot with SPW, and then they came out to California Championship Wrestling. So I managed uh, Adam Thornstow to start with, and then he brought in the rest of his Reno friends, and, and we just said, you guys are a bunch of scum, and they said, yeah, yeah, we're the Reno scum, and that, that name kind of stuck with them, so... Um, you know, I'm a big fan of those guys, and, and I was glad to see them get on TV. It was, it's always wonderful to, like, see guys that you knew that were, like, going to be talented and that you knew had the ability to be stars on television. There is just a sort of, like, that satisfaction, like, yeah, you know, I'm glad to see these guys get their break. Now, I never got my big moment on TV and that moment's passed, but I'm still very happy when I see things like, you know, Deleep, or when I see Simon Gotch, or when I see um, uh, uh, the Reno Scum on television, um, because, you know, I just remember back when we were doing shows for 100 people out in, you know, uh, uh, places like Antioch and uh, 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 Cloverdale, and, uh, 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 you know, some of the Pacifica and these outlying towns out in the middle of, of California that most people never hear of. You know, everyone thinks of the, the glory of L.A. or, or the, the big lights of San Francisco, but you don't always know, you know, the, the indie shows are the ones where you're playing the outskirts and the distant venues. And, and they, it's great to see people that work those shows. And, and, and performed in front of audiences of 50 to 75 people, then make it bigger in Impact. And I like the fact that Impact is there as a, another alternative to the WWE because I, I haven't found a person yet. It's weird. I, I, anyone who I respect their opinion of at all dislikes the current WWE product. The only people that I find that love the WWE, are people who really I just don't want to be stuck in an elevator with for more than two floors. And, and no. you know, it, 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 it is just nice to, to see that, you know, both AEW and Impact 
are growing a little bit, not just rolling over and, and playing dead for the WWE to just conquer everyone and be the king of everything. Because there was, you know, about a three- or four-year period where really it was just the, the WWE really was the only thing to watch. And it was, it was really bad and hasn't gotten much better since. Evan, what about you? Where do you think Impact stands over the last 20 years as far as its legacy, and where do you see it in today's wrestling marketplace? I think the legacy is presented on a international forum. A lot of great, great talent, AJ Styles, Homicide, early Ron Killings, um, et cetera, so on, and uh, it gave them a forum. It gave them an opportunity to move on to bigger and better things. And, um, you know, today they're still being seen by a sizable audience. I, I think it's pretty clear that, uh, you know, WWE and AEW, are, you know, are the uh, kings, you know, um, as far as a sizable audience. But, um you know, it, it does have its uh, place, and it is a showcase for uh, talent, and it's um, it's quality wrestling. And, you know, you can never have too much of, of something that's good. My, my point being, there's thousands of movies that are made, you know, and if they're good or very good or great, they're worthy, you know, and impact is worthy. It's worthy of being out there. You know, what you don't need is another bad indie with 24 matches that run seven hours, you know, where the promoter's nephew and girlfriend are in the main event or whatnot. You know, that you don't need. But, but if you have quality that's being seen, that's showcasing people, that's, you know, getting them to the next stage, and I, I wish Impact nothing but the best. I mean, I've enjoyed them, and it's, um, you know, over the years, I mean, you know, AJ Styles and some of those guys were magic, magic over there. And, uh, you know, they, they have a real legacy, just like Ring of Honor. I wish Ring of Honor nothing but success in the future and whatever incarnation they they have. I mean, it's, it's a little vague, you know, exactly where they stand. I mean, AEW in and of itself has, you know, too much talent and too little TV time. So, uh, you know, where Ring of Honor is going to fall into place, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. But there's definitely room for uh, impacts and Ring of Honors and, and other quality promotions and, uh, you know, it's uh, wrestling is an art when done well, and, and and for the most part, these guys do it well. And uh, I, I, you know, you'll you'll never get bored watching something that's excellent. <laughs> you know, you know, I will get bored when something is stultifying, like much of WWE TV. Much of it is is numbing a three hour roar. You know, it's geared towards eight-year-olds for the most part, and uh, I'm closer to 80 than I am to eight. <laughs> so uh, don't insult my intelligence, and much of it, much of it does. And the one thing wrestling shouldn't be is 
boring. And much of WWE, unfortunately, is boring. Not all, but much of it. And the stultifying, scripted promos are a big part. A guy like Buddy Sotelo could talk, could improv, and you need that. Why eliminate, why eliminate the managers except for Heyman? You know, some of these guys are not talkers. You know, I don't, I don't understand. Why eliminate? Why, why do you have so few tag teams in WWE? You know, you get the same four or five tag teams wrestling each other a thousand times. Do we need to see New Day and the Usos another 500 times? You know, it's, uh, wrestling shouldn't be boring. All right. Well, guys, we got just a few minutes left, and I want to make sure you get to say anything you would like, plug anything you like. Buddy, we'll start with you. Yeah, well, my plugging is pretty short. I already told you about that. Uh, if you go to www.facebook.com and then to Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast, all one word, that's how you can get the links to our show. Um, you can also look for it on YouTube. Um, and uh, I can be reached as Buddy Satello on ESQ on Facebook. So um, I'm always happy to have people uh, uh, drop a line and say what they think about the show. And, and again, when you guys uh, want to come back as guests, we'd love to have you on the show. Definitely. Would love to anytime you guys need us. Evan, what about you? Anything you want to say, plug, or promote? Sure. Uh, if you haven't, check out 350 Days, 350 Days, the movie.com. Uh, we're on, we're not hard to find, Amazon Prime, Tubi, uh, most uh, cable systems, worldwide distribution. Um, very proud of 350 Days, Bret Hart, Superstar Billy Graham, uh, George Steele. <laughs> Fifteen or so wrestlers in there that are gone now, unfortunately. So it's preserved the history of this business. And uh, there's an old documentary you could check out, Wrestling Then and Now, with Killer Kowalski, Nikolai, a bunch of other uh, old-school guys, Wrestling Then and Now. And, um, yeah, check out Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast. And, um Pro Wrestling Stories, of course, ProWrestlingStories.com, and, uh, you know, et cetera, so on. I don't want to bore your uh, listeners with a ton of plugs, but uh, we appreciate you guys uh, having us on and for your support. It's nice to talk with like-minded people that appreciate the art of professional wrestling, and it is an art. It is an art, and people either get it or they don't, and... God, when you see an AJ Styles in the right match, when you see a Finn Balor, when you see a Kenny Omega, these guys are artists. And uh, wrestling um, is very special when it's done right. And, it, and it's always nice to talk to people that get it, that appreciate it. So, uh, you know, thanks for having us on. Yeah, no, really yeah, appreciate it. Really appreciate the opportunity to speak to you guys. You're always welcome on our show, and uh, hope the best for everyone. Happy Father's Day. Likewise, likewise, you guys are always welcome here, and we always appreciate the chance to talk to you. 
and I want to wish you continued success in all the projects you have going. Uh, thanks Thank so much. So much. Thank you, guys. Great talking to you. Good night. All Good right, night. fans, if you Bye-bye. have not, check out, check out their great podcast, Wrestling and Everything Coast to Coast. Airs also on Sunday, normally after Turnbuckle Turmoil. So you can always check us both out. And also check out The Wrestler in 350 Days, both great films. But thanks so much. you also want to check out Dr. Mike. Of course, he's got photos and tons and tons of books that relates to wrestling, always working on new projects, so make sure you support the good doctor as well. But as we wrap up today, we do have the unfortunate duty to report that we did lose a couple of uh, great wrestling referees this week. Firstly, Dave Hebner, uh, one of the twin Hebner brothers that refereed in not only Jim Crockett Promotions, the WWF, as well as Impact Wrestling, passed away earlier this week. Uh, his brother Earl and nephew Brian were on the Slammiversary pay-per-view. Uh, they did pay honor to Dave on that, so we want to wish the family well. Also, earlier today, it was reported that Tim White, legendary WWF referee and former handler of Andre the Giant passed away. Uh, Tim White, of course, longtime employee for WWE. Both of those gentlemen will be missed, and as we end the show, we'll do the traditional tin bell salute for them. <laughs> 